0: The views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components. Welcome back to another episode of Further Zoomies podcast. Today we have my military strategic studies instructor, Lieutenant Colonel Walter Darnell, on as guest an Academy grad with lots to share about his experience as an intelligence officer. We touch on topics like new responsibilities with promotion, how family fits in the lifestyle, and experience in the joint environment. Tune in for all the details. You're clear at hot. Colonel Darnell, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Um, today, You're welcome. I actually have um, today was the first episode that I'll be considering um, other people's questions. So shout out to uh, Will French there. Um, he he contri- he contributed a little bit to the question set here. But um, so to get right into it. Um, would you like to give some background about yourself, where you're from, what kind of compels you to do what you do every day?
1: Yeah, sure. I, uh, so I know that uh, the, the purpose here today is we're, we're talking about uh, just the intelligence community and, and uh, the 14 in career field as a, as a background and, a, you know, an aspiration for, for you guys as cadets. Uh, for me, um, so I'm from southwest Virginia. Uh, I grew up in, as part of an Air Force family. Uh, I moved all over, all over the world as a kid, uh, so I spent a lot of time out west. Uh, Nevada, Texas, um, lived on the East Coast, Virginia quite a bit, South Carolina. Uh, graduated high school from Italy, okay. uh, which was was awesome, and uh, I actually think was probably probably one of the the first informative experiences where I just got really interested in the world itself, and and international affairs and and other cultures, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I think that's. Uh, that was the beginnings of it. Um, I came here, uh, started in 2002, graduated in 2006. Um, all sorts of great things happened here. I'm, I'm uh, I feel very blessed and fortunate to be, a, to be a graduate from from the Air Force Academy. Uh, probably the first and foremost, I met my wife here, which was, uh, which was terrific. She was a year behind me, and uh, we've got four beautiful kids now, and uh, and I love, love being a dad. Um, uh, and an officer, and an intel officer, and, and just all those those many hats that you wear, as uh, as time goes on, as as you go further into your career. Um, as far as what I'm all about, uh, I'd say faith, family, and country. I mean, that's that's what motivates America. me. America, yeah, that's right, America. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's that's why I come to work every day. Um, you know, I love I love our country. I love the freedoms that we have. And uh, you know, my. Entire career has been devoted to to preserving those because they're incredibly important. Um, you know, I've come back here. This is my second time teaching at the academy, uh, and I, I I see you guys as as a part of that story. I mean, it's it's investing in you all, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm just delighted to be here to, with you today. I'm yeah. Glad to share more. I I really like
0: when I hear somebody with a really strong conviction about their morals and values, and as like that is something that propels people to, and compels people to do what they do, I think that's really profound. But um, actually, if you don't mind, we might get into a little bit about um, your wife was yeah. a graduate as well. Did she yep. move with you, or how did that exactly work? I talked to Major Rudder, and he yeah. said he was separated almost his entire career up until recently, because she was a pilot as well, so how did that work for you?
1: Uh, so uh, similar. Uh, so I think uh, being in in his case, being two pilots, that's I know that that's a, a tough go mm-hmm. uh, for me. Uh, you know, myself, my wife Maggie. Uh, so me as an intel officer and she's a cyber officer it was a little easier in terms of being able to be paired up together. Mm-hmm. Um, on the intel side of things, uh, you have a bit more latitude in terms of. Um, or, or, pardon me, a, a broad array of choice when it comes to where you can go. There, there are literally intel jobs just about everywhere okay. in the Air Force, which is terrific. Uh, and then on the cyber side, that that goes without saying. I'm like, literally every base, you'll have a communications squadron or, or some sort of staff. Um, so that uh, just from where we came from was a help. Uh, we were a part for... Plus her being here for a year, uh, delaying between us uh, about two and a half years. Uh, so one year with her finishing here and then about a year and a half apart on active duty. And so... Throughout the total of your career? Yeah. Uh, just, t- okay, just in so that getting, portion. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we had deployments and TDYs and all sorts of stuff. Like we would be... Uh, so it was our, our first assignment together at Ramstein. And, uh, and I do remember... Um, I was working night shifts, uh, working mission and she of course was on days. And so we would, uh, we would cross each other at the same traffic circle on the way home <laughs> and, uh, and wave at each other. And that was, that was the extent of our, uh, extent of our, our greetings for the day. And that's uh, part of your day. Yeah, no pretty worry. much. And, and so I would, I would, uh, we would maybe get like 30 minutes where we would, we would high five at home mm-hmm. and, uh, we'd have a quick dinner and then, and then I would go back in for the night mm-hmm. and, uh, it was okay. It's uh, you know at that time in your life, um, you're in your 20s. You're, you're. Uh, I'll use the the dreaded R word resilient, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know you, you just deal with it and, and you get through it. Um, it's it's also instructive in that you remember those experiences that you have, and as you get older and then hopefully into positions of influence and leadership. And you're in a position to help somebody, and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm I'm joint spouse, and you know my my wife's in the Air Force, or or whatever other situation uh, across services, you have that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just look at that and go, you know what? I uh, I can identify with that, or or if you can't, then at least I can appreciate that that's difficult, and mm-hmm. let's do something that we can uh, we can help that couple, uh, you know, stay in the Air Force, because in many cases that's why people people will make career decisions, uh, whether to stay in the air force, go to the reserves, uh, or completely separate is because it's, there is a, a stress and strain placed on a, either a, you know, a relationship or, or as a family writ large. Mm-hmm. So, you know, within the constraints of the mission, let's do what we can do to, to help people out and keep them in.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sure that like kind of separation makes or gives you a better appreciation for your relationship.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, no yeah, yeah. I love I love my wife so much, and uh, you know she's my best friend, um, you know, uh, constant source of advice, and uh, you know she she always tells me the truth, you know, whether I want to hear it or not. And, uh, <laughs> you need and someone like that. That's right. She's great. Well, I appreciate uh, your vulnerability. Um,
0: I I don't know exactly what's in store for me. I don't know if it'll be something similar, but hopefully I can use what you've given in terms of advice here in the, yeah. my future. But so to get into the actual question set that we have set up here, sure. the mission
1: set, yep. 14N Intelligence, yeah. what does that look like? Um, so I'd say it's very uh, – we've used the word broad before. Um, you can be many different things uh, being in the 14N career field, uh, which which actually is a lot of fun. Like for me, that's that's part of the appeal and the draw was – you can go there and you can work in a fighter squadron. Uh, you can work uh, in an air operations center at the operational level of war and being a war planner. Okay. Uh, you can work uh, in a cyber squadron, uh, working right alongside cyber operators, which is awesome. Um, on the space side of things, you know that's changed as time has gone on with the space force, but uh, you know certainly you can have an impact with you know things that are actually happening on on orbit uh, with your support to that from an intel standpoint. Uh, special operations, human intelligence. Signals intelligence. Um, there's acquisitions intelligence. If you're interested in the, you know, basically how it is that things are, aircraft are designed and fielded. Uh, there's an aspect to that too. Um, you know, operationally, it'll take you all over the world if you want it to. Uh, everything from from Asia to the Americas to Europe to centcom uh, in the Middle East. Uh, it's you know the world's your oyster, and you can go do, you can do different things in every job if you want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you compare that to some other career fields, which, you know, every one of them I have a lot of respect for. Um, but in some cases, perhaps if you're flying or, or you're in, in some, uh, very narrow specialty, you will kind of get tracked along, you know, maybe a certain set number of bases and types of jobs where, uh, you'll get really good at what you're doing, but your, your, your latitude on being able to just see, see something different and some different scenery is, is locked down a bit. Okay. So, um, Intel is very wide and broad, uh, which is great. Um, as far as just the structure of the career field itself, um, there's actually, you know, with all that breadth and I'd say choice, there's, there's some good structure and foundation to it uh, so that you don't walk into it and it's not like a, a random experience every time. Um, so we have four main functions. Uh, so you've got analysis, uh, you've got collection, targeting, and integration. And integration is really like operational integration. Uh for me I've spent um, the majority of my career in three of those uh so analysis, collections and integration. Okay. I uh, never did do a targeting job but uh, but it looks pretty cool. Um <laughs> but uh that's yeah. the glamorous part of the job if you get. Yeah, uh, you way. know, it's uh, every everybody is proud of where they came from and it and uh it's uh, you always love your own baby so you know uh wherever you came from was glamorous. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad for what I've done. But uh yeah, um so with with those four competencies, uh, there there are a number of of jobs that kind of spiral off from that. Um, on the collection side of things, uh, like we were talking about in class yesterday, uh, in many cases those relate to like the National Intelligence Community and uh, co- what we call combat support agencies (CSAs) uh, that uh, contribute to the the broad uh, multi-int collection enterprise that comprises the, the National IC. And what I mean by that. Is uh, you've got the National Security, Security Agency, which is you know charged with a mission of, of signals intelligence on behalf of the United States. Um, you have various various points uh, where the services, uh, you know, all all six of us will cross uh, at the NSA, and the Air Force certainly does have a big footprint there. And uh, so locations like uh, Fort Meade in Maryland, uh, that is that is certainly the hub uh, for for uh, NSA activity and, okay. and Air Force activities that come off of that. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for especially a junior officers who are coming out uh, there at Fort Meade. Um, also, uh, Joint Base San Antonio, uh, Lackland down in Texas, huge hub uh, as well. And then uh, there, there are a number of other, other hubs around the country uh, where you can find, find a similar setup. Um, there are opportunities on the collection side with uh, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, DIA, uh, and then a number of others uh, where you can get, get in there with you know uh, the, the experts of the craft and, and the field. And uh, while I'd, I would not recommend that for a first job, but perhaps maybe later in like uh, kind of like mid to senior captain years, uh, we've got some, some great internships actually that are part of the 14 in career field where you can actually go to one of those agencies and spend three years of focused time getting really good uh, at SIGINT, or maybe it's computer network operations, okay. or if it's GEOINT, et cetera, and the Air Force is investing in you, um, and you come out the other side of that in- internship uh, with um, you know essentially a different experience every six months uh, of those three years, and uh, you carry that, and it's like it's like something you put in your pocket, and then you save it for another day where maybe you're a major lieutenant colonel, and they they place you in a squadron that is well suited to draw on that where maybe you're in a SIGINT squadron or a GEOINT squadron. And it's like, I've had this really deep three-year experience and in investment from the Air Force, which is great. Um, so does that mean that like every person or every
0: officer will have a certain specialization in one form of intelligence collection, whether it's GEO, mason.
1: It's, uh, you know, it is, they used to track uh, a long time ago, like in the Cold War and then kind of early post-Cold War years. Uh, they used to track people along. You were either operations or you were you were a collections person. Okay. And you're, you you kind of went either one of those ways. Um, they during the like the the heart of the global war on terror, which was like that was kind of my heyday. Um, we kind of went 180 out from that, where it's like you you're gonna go uh, and you'll be in in sometimes a different job every time. And I and I think the needle has kind of swung back towards the middle now. Where we realize that we need people to be broad, but within that breadth, you also need to have some semblance of a focus to get good at something. Yeah. you know, it's like how how else will you be good at uh, at at some you know some int or or you know some functional area of support like soft or space? Like you have to spend time in it and learn it and read and interview and talk to people and and just experience operations, right? Um, so there's I, I think we're actually at a pretty good moment where We've kind of come to the middle where you'll spend your junior years, like definitely your lieutenant years, and then, um, you know, as a captain, you'll, you'll be a captain for about six years. So the, those first ten years of your active duty life, um, you'll probably go to three assignments. Um, I, I three is probably safe. Uh, three solid assignments during those times, um, you know, three years each, and then a year of intel school. Um, what I'd recommend and what the Air Force Intel community recommends is, especially in your junior years, take those assignments and divide them in half. And your squadron commander will help you do that. Um, but the, the idea is um, you sample broadly across your, your junior years as, a, as an Intel officer. And so uh, – You see you, what you like? Yeah, you see okay. what you like, right? And, uh, and so you go to places where, uh, say, there's a broad variety of Intel jobs. So, like, I went to Ramstein in Germany – um, my three-year tour was cut in half, and I, I did uh, one job on the 24th Intel Squadron, uh, distributed, uh, distributed uh, ground station, which is essentially the, the ISR end of what was uh, then predator, uh, predator operations. And so we would you know, provide Intel products for uh, predator, predator flying operations, which were going on downrange. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also a U-2 aspect uh, of that as well. Uh, and then in an, another area of my life, I was a flight commander at the same time on a completely different mission, uh, which was, uh, was kind of a conflict at some points, but, uh, but, you know, it was a, a leadership challenge. Uh, I spent the first half of that tour in that squadron. And, and then in the second half, I went over to an air operations center and I did something completely different. Um, I drew, I drew on skills that I learned within the, the first half of that tour. Um, but you know, this, this, uh, this AOC that I was working at, uh, it was at the operational level of war and I'm doing planning. And so, you know, I've got handfuls of people that I'm working with. I don't have a flight that, you know, uh, that's, that's, I'm working with and they're working for me and, and all that. Uh, I'm not rating on as many people. You're, you're in a, you know, pretty challenging, uh, peer environment where all your peers now are, are you all are both at the, at the lowest level, and. Uh, and you're basically performing analysis and, and planning on behalf of the uh, the air component commander. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you go from uh, being flight commander and you're you've got this flight that, uh, you know, you're yeah. Are they working for you? Sure. But are you really working for them? Yeah. That's the mm-hmm. way it should be. Um, you're providing for their success and mission accomplishment. Uh, and you go to a place where now you're probably the most junior and and you, now you're you're the worker bee and you're you're doing the do. It's and like going
0: like senior year of high school, and now you're a freshman exactly. at the academy. Yep,
1: okay. and you've you have climbed the ladder and you've you've jumped to some other uh, some other level of warfare. Which uh, I loved being at the operational level. I thought it was cool because you can tactical is fun, uh, but at the operational level you can kind of step above the clouds and gaze around and see how all the different pieces fit. You know, if it's ISR and ISR aircraft you're just one piece in, in the giant equation of what's going on in theater. And, uh, and you've got, um, you know, fighters and bombers and tankers and you've got command and control. Um, you've got a, uh, what we had was a uh, joint forces air component commander that we're working for. Um, so you got a, you know, a three star who's, you know, has their own, um, objectives and, and guidance for, for the entire air component. Um, and uh and you have theater activities that are going on across the board many of which are distant from you you know we were in germany and uh, we had tankers up in the uk uh you've got fighters up in the uk as well um had vipers at spang uh and then vipers down at aviano too and uh and that force structure has changed a little bit now but everything back then was focused on the desert fight and it was it was either sending people to afghanistan uh iraq um predominantly. And then a little bit of Africa, too, because uh, we, we had that uh, mission apportioned to us. So it uh, it made for a, uh, like I said, it was a very eclectic, very broad uh, experience where you were responsible for doing planning for all this stuff. It was 103 countries um, from top to bottom, from Norway to South Africa. And uh, you're essentially responsible for the air campaign plan that uh, that supports all of it. So it was uh, a lot of responsibility, but very cool.
0: When you're talking about planning, does that mean stuff that we talk about in MSS where you kind of come up with a plan to fight? I don't know exactly how intelligence plays into this. It's that uh,
1: no, it's a good question. Um, And, uh, and it's the reason why Intel people and operators and, and other career fields all talk together. And that's and that is the essence of the AOC, the Air Operations Center, is um, you have a strategy division which drives, basically brings the strategy from the theater commander through the JFAC out to, uh, out to the, the planners. And the planners, you, a captain, majors, led by lieutenant colonels uh, at the team chief level, um, you from your, your various functional specialties are coming up with uh, the plan and any, any sort of lower level guidance. Uh, that, that wings would have to carry out. Um, so the, the end product of an air operations center is the daily ATO, uh, okay. so the air tasking order. Uh, and so that is essentially what, what basically tells tells what aircraft to, to do what and when and, and to carry what and, and uh, to go carry out which type of mission. Uh, for us in Europe at that time, uh, this was 2009 to late 2011. Um, Crimea had not happened yet. Ukraine had not happened yet. Uh, Russia was restive and it was, you know, uh, they were over on their side of the border and we knew, uh, you know, not, not very content with some of the things that we were doing, uh, in theater. You know, we had talked about placing a, a ballistic missile defense system. Um, but predominantly most of our focus was, was again on, on OIF and OEF. Um, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And so in many cases, it was kind of a, it was a pseudo peacetime theater. And, um, you know, UCOM and USAFE writ large were used basically just to feed the downrange fight. Um, so late, late in my time there, uh, Operation Odyssey Dawn kicked off and that was essentially the, the fall of Muammar Gaddafi and his regime in Libya. And this, this was part of that broader broader Arab spring that, uh, you know, we've we have talked about Um, and that was a complete surprise. I'll, I'll say, I mean, it was, uh, that was a shock to the world, you know, uh, of, you know, he's been this fixture Mm -hmm. in that country and ruled it with an iron fist for, for decades and, uh, and to see it fall. Uh, and, you know, that was a, I would say a, uh, you know, pretty unexpected on our part. Um, we were given responsibilities for, you know, basically providing, for air operations over the African continent, so it's like who else to do it but us, and uh, and so what we did, and, and to answer your question directly, uh, I was on the information operations team, and so my my job was providing intel support to to info ops, which um, you yeah, know that's a pretty broad family of of operations: electronic warfare, cyber, um, military deception, opsec. Those those comprise all the all the unclassified components of it. And, uh, there's an Intel picture and baseline that is, is offered to that as a background and, uh, basically telling what is true on the ground and what the adversary is going to do is, is Intel's role. Um, and that's, that is where you can help, uh, whether you're at the tactical level with, you know, working with pilots, uh, if you're at the operational level and you're working with planners or as a planner and supporting the JFAC, or you're working at the strategic level and you're you know, and you're in DC and you're giving advice to, to the president or the sec Def or whoever, um, the heart and core of what, what the Intel professional does in the IC is, uh, you know, number one, uh, define the operational environment. What's literally what's going on out there, uh, especially in areas that we care about or areas that are of, of threat or danger to us. Um, and then, uh, you know, based on the, collected bits of information from multiple, you know, types of intelligence, you know, from the human that we've mentioned before, or SIGINT, or MEZN, or, or open source, and others. Um, you put this all together, and you make that uh, as, as part of your, your analysis. Um, you are consulting uh, from a broad body of work, uh, which other people have done. There, you are not the first analysis and uh, analyst in the history of, of the U.S. Air Force, and there have been other people who have studied... Whatever your problem is, whether it's, it's Russia or, or if it's uh, some other sort of strategic problem set, uh, and you will use that as, as kind of a, a guide and foundation for your own. Um, and in, in many cases, we are evolving analysis uh, over time okay. where, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of good homework and, and thought has been put into a, a certain problem set, and uh, you use that to push off from uh, with, with your own. Uh, and what we're hoping to do is come up with what we call a, uh, a baseline, which is understanding what is a norm of behavior from an adversary. You know, what, what looks normal? Do they fly? Do they fly this kind of aircraft so many times a week? Um, or do they, sh- do they sail these kinds of ships, uh, from here? If I see them start to fly less or fly more or sail this ship from there, this or there, sick Navy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Uh, absolutely. But, uh, if I see, you know, basically deviations to that norm, uh, combined with, with other things that are happening, say, um, you know, major military movements or, or exercises, or maybe their, uh, president or, or some senior military leader said something that was significant. Um, you start to add those things together, uh, and you start to see where we are now deviating from what we have noticed in the past, that baseline you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, uh, And it's just like people, you know, it's, uh, as you get to know people in your squad, um, you get to know people's habits and, and, you know, I know, I know my roommate's going to wake up and and at this time I know that he's going to study and he's going to go work out or whatever that the habit pattern for the day is. And if something goes outside of that pattern, um, you've known each other for long enough that you notice that, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe, maybe they're in a bad mood or something like that. But that's all that to say, you know, it's just a small example, but. You, that is how you figure out things are amiss with other people, and we, we do that on a daily basis with one another. Is we, just, we just watch and we understand each other. And, uh, and really that, that is part of the intel officer's job is to watch and understand the world around him, um, draw in uh, new pieces of, of intelligence as we need to from those multiple disciplines. Um, if it is your job to, to analyze them, then, then you analyze them and you add them together uh, and basically draw assessments and conclusions out of it uh or if it's not and you're you're a collector you you basically push that material to to those whose job it is mm-hmm. uh to do that analysis um but at the end of the day um you know the the outcome from the intelligence process and the entire community is basically offering offering educated assessments on uh what the adversary is likely to do um what is the most dangerous thing that they could do Uh, and then highlight any distinctions between those two things. Um, Sometimes they're the same. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, But uh, basically being able to uh, chart the future uh, for a decision maker. And after that, uh, your decision maker, whether it be a – if it's an operator, if it's a pilot or a soft operator, if it's a a space operator making a decision on what to do with a satellite, if it's a theater commander making decisions on force placement or a president – the the essence of all this is a decision we've made a decision or or they have to either act or not act and it's your job to inform the risk calculus of that decision uh, by talking about the adversary and where they're going okay so is that uh, yeah so
0: hopefully uh, i'll try to break this down so you collect intelligence whether it's geo intelligence through satellites human intelligence through whatever interrogations or observations. I don't know exactly what goes on. Um, Whatever form of intelligence that you're collecting, you use that. You compile it, you analyze it, synthesize it, whatever you guys do. Mm -hmm. And then you present what you found from that to your commander and they make real-time battlefield decisions based off of that is that correct
1: yeah that's a uh, i'd say that's kind of a a, uh, a simplified version of, of a lot of it and i the one nuance there is that there are thousands of people that make all of that possible so even just the collections enterprise on one on one int if it's if it's sigint or if it's human, um there are thousands of people that, that go behind that whether it's from a a technical aspect operations support um literally down to the actual uh you know analysts who who do the job um so there there are a number of people in that that chain that make that possible uh in in most cases uh uh, you will not be doing collection and analysis at the same time Mm -hmm. uh that it's just it's typically uh units are not oriented that way and it's for a reason uh one is from an authority's perspective uh and then number two just from a uh you know, um, being able to separate out the two uh, is a practical thing to do just from a, uh, you know, workflow perspective. Uh, and then also, um, if you're spending your time collecting, um, you're not spending time becoming an expert to do analysis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, hence, we, we just have to divide it out between uh, either different squadrons or on the operational side or it's uh, different staffs. Uh, on the staff side, um, and it tends to be in the Air Force. Uh, collections will be a, a squadron activity, um, and uh, in terms of analysis, you do have analytic squadrons. So, uh, NASIC, where I just came from, uh, National Air and Space Intel Center. There's, you know, a slew of analytic squadrons there, uh, and then you also have staff elements that will do analysis too, um, out in you know, uh, numbered air forces or that's right
0: Okay. Um, you touched a little bit on the lower, the junior officers of what they might be getting into on a day to day as, as you promote, what type of responsibility do you gain? Is it just, you make bigger decisions? Are you responsible for different types of intelligence?
1: Yeah, I'd say, uh, as you know, I'll I'll go from my own experience and then just kind of spiral from there. But, um, for me, so coming out of Goodfellow, which is where your uh, basically your technical school is, um, about six and a half months long, um, you go to your first job, and uh, it depends on the kind of job that you you have selected. Um, for me, uh, I went to the, distribu- the uh, DGS four, so the Distributed Ground Station four. Um, that's that's a part of the broader enterprise, which is called DCGS, so Distributed Common Ground Station. And essentially, what that is is a uh, it is a node where we bring in multiple types of intelligence uh, for uh, basically the the initial phase of analysis and and, uh, understanding of the adversary and then also the uh, production of of mission-related materials that come out of that in support of the warfighter, whoever it may be. Um, So in terms of decisions made, uh, I got there as a first lieutenant, um, and for me I had two jobs, as I mentioned before. Uh, number one is, was to be what's called an ISR mission commander, which is I had a crew of uh, probably about eight uh, that I was responsible for, uh, and they were predominantly uh, one and ones uh, who were uh, basically geo analysts. Uh, so those those who were looking at imagery, uh, we had uh, full motion video and then also still imagery that we were working with, and um, you know really the the essence of decision there is uh, it's. It's mission management, Uh, it's talking to, basically, I I talked to my DO a lot in terms of what it is that he wanted out of the mission and where we were going. Um, What the focus was uh, as, basically, as translated through the theater. And what I mean by that is, uh, above him, he was talking to the Air Operations Center a lot, and he was talking to our uh, combatant command as well at, at UCOM, and so basically, translating uh that guidance into actionable mission instructions uh for for the day um the uh basically the wrinkle there was we have our own idea for where the mission is going um but when it comes to distributed operations you have um basically an aircrew which is flying the aircraft and you have a basically a ground force customer too uh so there are a lot of people with you know basically um you know, fingers in the bowl, if you will, in terms of influence on the situation. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, the pilots in the command of the aircraft, and there's no question for that. Um, but uh, there's also basically the ground force customer, which is is pulling and asking for things, and that's the reason why we were there. Uh, and then add in on top of that, things that are wanted at the operational level from the theater. Uh, sometimes you had different, you know, differing interpretations and opinions on where the mission should go. And, uh, and what it is that we should do with that aircraft and its ISR sensors and capabilities for that, you know, that um, operational period, and um, so um, you know, it was my job essentially to convey what it is that we were going to do, mission focus, um, identify any, um, I would say, uh, mission opportunities, uh, things that we could do from an intel perspective along the way, which would be good to collect on, and literally, it's. I see that. That's something that we haven't looked at for a long time. Let's go look at that. Does that fit within the overall scheme of the mission? And, you know, is this going to, by taking this sidetrack, are we going to detract from the overall uh, intent uh, for the day? And is it something that's mutually beneficial for everybody involved in the room? Multivariate uh, question to solved there, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, it is. And it, and it comes down to priority. I mean, it's like so many things. Um if it's, if it's operational decisions, uh, if it's money decisions, uh, being able to discriminate between um, set elements in a problem, you know, like yeah, like, like variables, uh, and then rank order them if you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can do two things at once, which is great, and, you know, two out of three mission partners win. Um, and then there are some times where it's like, no, this is the priority and everybody knows it and everything else is going to have to fall to the floor and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think in that dynamic between uh, Intel crew, I um, see the actual flyers of the aircraft, you know, the pilot and sensor operator uh, and then, uh, you know, ground force customer uh, we, we had a pretty good dynamic um, everybody. And that's what's, what's nice about, you know, being in the military the, Amer- the American militaries, we have a, I'd say a a pretty common understanding of what is important uh, for one another. And so in situations like that, you kind of drop the institutional interests and the, you know, I'd rather do this. It's, it's, if you see somebody that, you know, there's a threat to life or mission, of course, that comes to number one and you go do that and everybody's got that understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as, as the mission goes on, uh, as we, as we leave that uh, as We leave that moment of, uh, you know, focus and seriousness uh, and say things die down. Uh, And, you know, we were doing um, root scans. We were doing uh, support to counter IED, uh, you know, counter IED efforts on behalf of ground forces. So as we get away from situations like that and and we have a little more latitude to to take advantage of opportunities, uh, that's when you can be a little more creative and... Um, you know, basically, kind of hit your your priorities two and three uh, mm-hmm. to go okay. after. You know, yeah. And uh, and it's you know, Intel is kind of like a garden. It's um, we shouldn't always just be doing the stuff that we're told to do, right? You you don't just sit there and wait for assignments. It's uh, you use your you use that great brain that, that the Air Force Academy gave you, or, or you know, on the enlisted side that uh, that your tech school gave you uh, to go think creatively on what. What is an aid and a complement to the overall intelligence effort? and more than that, the overall joint fight? Like, what's the warfighter need? And they may not be thinking about it yet, but I know as an Intel analyst, either a fourteen in or or a one in one or whatever AFSC you are, I have an instinct that this is important, and we're going to go look at it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that's what makes us special. and that's that's what we have to hold on to is initiative. It's operational initiative. Um, being brave enough to uh, step out and look for what's important. Uh, And once we see something that's important to continue to pursue Um, and uh, you know, that's, that's how you win. Mm -hmm. Well, to get back to the original question,
0: that was a fantastic tangent you went on there. Um, Say like you get to captain major level, you're a Lieutenant Colonel right now. Yeah. Where does the responsibility shift in that?
1: Um, So, so yeah, uh, so going like lieutenant to captain, um, captain. I mentioned that uh, you know I, I've only had one experience, and there's there are you know many thousands of others that that have been different. Um, you know, for me, you know, some of it was spent as an air campaign planner. Uh, some I came here and taught for a couple of years, uh, and then others I, I got hired into a a special job which which had to do with um, basically. Uh, analysis on on space operations and uh the thing that's common between all of them is that at that point um you know you're promoted to captain after four years and you'll spend a long time there uh, about six years as a captain and there's a reason for that um you will be certainly different uh you'll be a different captain at the very end of it than you were at the beginning right six years is a long time it's longer than your experience here mm mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say at the end of it, you have reached uh, probably the pinnacle of your tactical expertise, or at least you have kind of, you have reached a, you know, maybe something short of the summit, right? You've gotten really good um, spending time, you know, if you're flying, um, you know, maybe you've gone to weapons school. Or if you're in Intel, there's, yeah, there's a weapons school track for that too. Um, you've gotten really good at either collections or analysis or, or, uh, or, or planning or something along those lines. Uh, for me, um, I loved analysis. I thought it was awesome. Uh, I started out in collections in Germany, like I mentioned to you. Uh, I came here and taught, which actually was great because it opened my mind to just, um, thinking about thinking. So metacognition essentially. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to the advanced analysis course, uh, during that time, uh, which actually gave me a framework for analysis. Uh, so, Um, kind of a mental model uh, with which to approach a problem and being able to organize information and then basically just run through categorically uh, different facets of a problem Um, and in, you know, in parallel uh, being able to rule out, um, you know, biases of thinking uh, and things that are kind of obstacles uh, to your making a clear assessment. So I got to this, uh, you know, what was a a special job uh, focused on space, um, you know, space operations and operational problems, and, uh, you know, I I became a subject matter expert on on space uh, from an intel standpoint, Uh, and I'll tell you, it was so much fun, Um, and in terms of uh, authorities and decisions and and the root of your question... um, Know, I had the ability to uh, walk into different intel community agencies uh, and basically represent uh, the headquarters of the Air Force and, and basically speak on behalf of the Air Force, at least in a small way, and talk about what it is that uh, what it is that we needed from an intel standpoint uh, and, uh, and how it is that uh, the national IC could be leveraged uh, to basically help us in where the Air Force was going strategically. Okay. Um, and that was that was huge. Like, uh, not to say that it was any, anything that I did, uh, but it was just where you came from. You know, you're, you're working for, for the headquarters air force and you, and you go somewhere and you say, Hey, I'm from half and, uh, really could use some help. And you have a lot of people who go, absolutely. Uh, who, who can we help you talk to? And what is it that, that we can do to help you solve your problem? Um, so I, I developed some pretty great, um, networks of, you know, professional relationships and friendships with people from all across the IC. Uh, went out to NASIC. Uh, they were a great help um, all around the Beltway, uh, talking to really just about every IC agency uh, that's out there. And uh, and everybody was an outstanding professional. And and what floored me was at the age of, um, gosh, I was probably like 30, I was like 31, uh, just being able to go out and do that and just say that something's important and have people that you don't know, uh, spend hours out of their day, if not days helping you do what you do, uh, is, is pretty tremendous. And, uh, and again, nothing I did, but, uh, at the end of it, uh, it was awesome because like you mentioned before you asked, you said, do you ever get a chance to focus? Um, that was one of those jobs where I felt like, uh, and I was, I was in DC at the time. Uh, I got the chance to focus and really learn learn my trade really well. Um, I got really good at space, which was, was cool. You know, you, you mentioned space and, you know, some people, they, they think it's awesome and then others are like, "Ah, I don't understand it. Um, but I, I thought it was neat. I just jumped in with both feet and, um, wrote a 90 page analytic assessment, uh, over the period of a couple of years. Um, and that's, you know, it, I'll say it did some pretty significant things and, uh, and, I loved it, and that's and that's the reason why that thing was so long. Was uh, you know uh, there were so many parts to this problem that we needed to know mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it it pretty much built a uh, a never before seen product, and uh, and I don't say that uh, you know to mention anything about myself. Uh, it was as a result of a lot of people's help, um, and I also credit my bosses for giving me authority the authority and the time to sit down and do that because I, I think it did make a difference and uh you know looking back on it I, I see that as probably one of the highlights of my Air Force career uh, I can't I can't mention a whole lot about it and the contents of it um but uh you know it certainly was a, a a chance to make a difference and uh and I thought it was great so um as far as major goes uh you know I spent the kind of my first year as a major in that job and that's and that's when when everything came to a crescendo. You know, you get to um you publish that document, you push it out, um you're getting, you know, general officers who are making decisions based on your analysis. Um that must be a good feeling. It was good. Like it was it was cool. And uh and you're like, "Man, right on. This <laughs> is, uh you know, I I, re- I worked really hard on this and uh, and now it's paying off." Um and you know, people saying, "Hey, this is this is to you know, major strategic implications, uh, was, was cool. Um, so that was kind of the uh, the first year of, of, uh, being a major. Uh, I finished out, I went to air command and staff college for a year at Maxwell Air Force Base, Alabama. Um, that's a 10 month course. Uh, we call it IDE. So intermediate developmental education. Uh, that's, that's a, a one year, um, just immersion in a, uh, you know, a military focused, uh, educational environment where you're spending time in, uh, small cohorts of about 12 or 13 people. Um, there, it was a flight structure there. And, uh, and in each flight you have, uh, people from all, all sorts of career fields. Uh, I was the only Intel officer in that one. Um, I had pilots, I had cyber officers, I had maintainers and LROs. Uh, I had one army officer. Uh, she was, she was Intel as well. Uh, I had, uh, two international officers. Uh, so one, one guy who's now a, uh, a one-star uh, in the Pakistani Air Force, and then another guy who is uh, definitely an up-and-comer uh, from Moldova. So, uh, just a, again, a really broad, eclectic mix of people, um, which was a lot of fun. Like we had, you would have dinner over at each other's houses, and uh, our kids get to know each other. Uh, you play sports together, and and just had a good time. Um, but uh, the whole course of studies about it's. About leadership, it's about joint war fighting and international security and a lot of other issues, but uh you spend all of it uh, just thinking about it from the perspective of all right, I'm gonna go lead like this is you know i'm I'm being invested in right now um and this is a special thing being given a year uh to study, and so w- what is it that I need to know and need to take away from this uh and so you had a lot of a lot of guest speakers there talking about all of those topical areas uh there were chances for research so i did a research big research paper on russia uh, while i was there and it's uh it's kind it's kind of that chance to to think um after you know after a long time of of thinking about what other people had wanted you to think about you know from a job perspective so it was uh it was good um it was a it was a quick year um so we just had twins uh so we went from two to four kids uh overnight and uh we <laughs> didn't sleep a whole lot but uh but yeah it was it was great. Um I uh you know, going towards the the uh, the back half of uh, being a major, uh I went to the joint staff in D C. Uh so returned to D C after that. Um that was very different uh from the first time through. Um in a joint job uh, and that's something that you had had asked about um, you're working, uh, on, uh, what was called the, the J five, uh, which was basically the, the directorate for, uh, policy plans and strategy. Uh, and I was given, um, political military advice on European issues to the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. Um, so, uh, we had general Dunford who was our, our chairman, uh, during the first half and then general Milley uh, took over about halfway through. Okay. Um, so both, you know, both fine gentlemen and, and, uh, and good leaders in their own right. But, um, you know, my job there was—I uh, mentioned to you before—your um, your career will take many, many different turns, and you'll do many different things um, if you're open to it. And I was, and I am. And uh, and so, in that respect, uh, I was actually had taken a step out of the Intel community, and I was what was called a PAS or a uh, political uh, political military strategist, uh, and that was the essence of the job. Was was basically. Uh, I was given charge of what started out as 13 European countries and kind of whittled down to a smaller list over time. But, um, I was the desk officer and representative of the, the J five and the joint staff to those countries. And so, uh, as a major in, in the beltway in the Pentagon, you're, it's like being a Lieutenant again. I mean, you're, you're, you're nothing, you know, uh, and so anybody who tells you otherwise don't believe them. Um, (laughs) bottom of the food chain again exactly and uh you know a little little tiny desk in a, a little office and uh you know you're walking a mile and a half from the parking lot to your desk and you know you you know where you stand mm-hmm. when uh, when you're doing that but um you know i had a, a three-part job you know one one was giving uh advice to the chairman which it, it sounds it sounds glamorous and it's not like i was in there every day but uh whenever there was a significant issue uh which came up um regarding one of our, our allies or partners in Europe, um, everybody ranging from, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland. Uh, I had the UK for a little while, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, Albania and Croatia, and I think there's a couple others in there. Uh, but anytime there was a, a major, uh, political military event, uh, or something that concerned the joint force, that was something that came into basically my lane and my lap, uh, to, to handle. And, uh, in many cases, um, you know, the, the chairman had certain questions that, that he needed to know, uh, and there's there are quite a few layers in between he and I. So I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm I'm in there briefing every day, but uh, you know, my job was to uh, basically discern what was happening out out in the world in those countries, uh, understand U.S. government policy and also uh, DoD strategic guidance at the time, uh, and be able to um, kind of reconcile what was happening uh, between that guidance and what was happening uh, out in, out in, uh, in that country. And, um, you know, part of the job was explaining uh, U.S. government policy to that nation. So I did a lot of work. That's part two uh, with um, basically those, those nations representatives there in in Washington, DC. Uh, We call those defense attachés. And so that's the basically the principal defense officer which represents that country uh, to the U.S. And so you have a uh, defense attache who's, who's the chief, uh, and then they'll have an air attache, an army, a navy, et cetera, that work for them. And, uh, and so it was uh, part two of my job was uh, interfacing with them and basically conveying, um, you know, policy messages, preferences on behalf of, um, on behalf of the joint staff Uh, uh, to them and you know maybe emphasizing a position we had on a certain topic Um, some examples might be um, you know maybe major goings-on on on the European continent Um, Afghanistan was kind of in its final years at that point Um, there were uh, you know uh, different countries had different political interpretations of how long they wanted to stay in country and and we remain invested and so that was that was definitely a dynamic that we were we were working through at that time. Um, you know, we had pivoted to Asia, uh and our focus on China years before, uh, during during President Obama's administration, you know, twenty eleven thereabouts. Uh, so that that was becoming a, a an issue as well, uh, that, that the US government, you know, and certainly out in the papers you'd see it is was dealing with. And so we had uh we had those those elements happening, uh, you know, essentially a a war which is coming to a close in Afghanistan. Uh, we had things going on uh, that were happening in Iraq uh, at that time, um, you know, as we see today, Iran remains a major concern, and we had China. And so, being able to um, talk about and articulate how it is that we would address those problems from a strategic perspective is is where I was at, and so. Um, you know the chairman uh you know obviously in his position uh was was making recommendations as he does uh to the president and SecDef, uh and in kind our adversaries adversaries and and you know other actors out there were uh, doing things out in the operational environment uh and our friends and allies are talking to us asking where is the direction where are we going mm-hmm. um what is it the u.s is interested in doing uh where are you headed and and how is it that we can work together on this um, so I was in in the midst of all that conversation. It's a I know it's a lot and it's very broad, um, but uh, that was the essence of the job was uh, was was conveying the you know the wishes of the U.S. government in that uh, in that forum.
0: Yeah, uh, I last year um, I'm sure a lot of the academy cadets got these emails from General Shredos of uh, Secretary are you familiar with him. Yes. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. I would go to his briefs and. He would talk a lot about how. You're as an uh, intelligence officer, you're gonna end up in the White House or the Pentagon Mm -hmm. faster than you think, and more common than you think. Like, is that, is that,
1: uh, yeah, for a majority
0: of the population,
1: yeah. And there's some. Um, I've had friends who they said, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't, not at all. And, you know, no thanks. And and there are ways to kind of like declare that. Via the way you talk to Air Force Personnel Center and just say, "Hey, look, I'm interested in doing these other things." So it's a preference. Uh, yeah, I mean, but they'll direct you there. There, there are times where they'll they'll direct you to go places. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd say, you yeah, know, the Air Force I would say has has become um, much better about you know listening to to what people want to do, and then hopefully we can find a common solution where it's like what you want to do and what the Air Force wants you to do is the same thing. Hopefully mm-hmm. so. And if not, then you know. Hopefully, some you know, maybe second best. Yeah, aligning yeah. incentives is how we get happy, and you complete the mission. That's true, and uh, you get people to stay in that way too. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think that's an accurate statement. Uh, if it's um, at the very least, if it's TDYs, if not being stationed there. Okay. Uh, in in some some capacity. Um, yeah. On the on the Intel side of things, uh, that's that's especially so true, just because. Um, you know, within the Pentagon, you've got Office of Secretary of Defense. there's you know there's opportunities to work there that's that's much later in your career. I mean that's that's probably like lieutenant colonel colonel era. Uh, the Joint staff, which you know I, I had the privilege of going to do as a major um, air staff, uh, which you know kind of captain major Lieutenant colonel. Um, you know, there are some lieutenants, believe it or not uh, that that are there um, kind of unicorns in the building, but, uh, are they you know, just really good or is it like, I, they just need that position filled? In? It's, uh, in, in some cases they were, they were kind of there between jobs and, uh, you know, they had been hired on for some short amount of time. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not given anything that that is going to crush them or anything. Cause you know, that's why would we do that? But, uh, yeah, it tends to be kind of captain to Lieutenant Colonel. Like that's, that's the, okay. the heart of where you'll, you'll do it. But, uh, I would say um, I would encourage everybody to do it once. Like, even if like DC and the beltway life um, and the beltway is the big highway that runs around town. That's, that's why they call it that. Um, just do it once. And, um, yeah, commuting is hard and it's really expensive. And, um, there are a lot of things that like from a life perspective, people just don't want to do it ever. They pay you enough for it. Uh, they depends where you live. Like, Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, that area has become so inflated that I think it is unaffordable. Yeah. Like, I won't lie to you. Like, I I think it's that aspect of it is very unattractive nowadays. Um, and I, I do think that, uh, just housing prices there have, have just become exorbitant where BAH don't cut it. It, it doesn't No. Okay. And, uh, and, um, you know, uh, I have a lot of concern for junior enlisted that, that live there. Um, because either you live, uh, either you live really far out or live in a not very nice place in order to afford where you, where, wherever it's practical to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for the young people, especially like, I, I think that's tough. Uh, so yeah, definitely. And that's a good point. Something to, to walk in with, you know, eyes wide open, but, um, uh, in terms of the experience and, um, just the, the things that you get pulled into the kind of either, maybe it's a decision brief or, or if it's a, uh, you know some major program that you're you're helping um stand up and and you know get going uh there's a lot of important stuff that happens and it's it's pretty fun uh just taking part of that uh and it's you know it's an honor um beyond that uh there's so many places and people to talk to around there like um State department They're filled with really talented people. Um, you have all sorts of academic institutions and think tanks and schools. You have Georgetown and CSIS, and yeah, I'm you know, sure it's a networking hub. It is, and you know, the world's your oyster. And you go there, and uh, you can spend um, every weekend going to museums, uh, and then during the week, there's, like you said, there's uh, a lot of people. You know, many of them, like in their 20s, who are just in the early part of their professional careers, trying to you know figure out where they're going um and a lot of people who are just interested in uh where the nation is headed uh so you can learn a lot and meet a lot of a lot of you know interesting people and friendships uh and basically professional relationships that will will endure mm-hmm. and uh, and and that happened for me too so yeah i think it, they were both great assignments okay so tracking off of those
0: kind of economic personal um considerations in the job yeah um whether it's been something that you've had to keep, I don't know, something from your family or maybe like you see something in the news that obviously, you know, is wrong. But the, I don't know, the public is being steered another way. Like, does those experience happen to you? And if so, like, what does that feel like?
1: Um, I think, uh, you know, just from like the secrecy aspect of it, um, you know, my my family understands um, and. I think the thing that I've done is is trying to discern in each job what are the things that I can say, and how it is it that I can kind of paint a picture of work, um, and maybe it's not talking about work. It's maybe it's just you know mentioning like oh these are the people that I work with, and um, I'd say as an Air Force we try and do uh, we try and do a good job of getting families together or, you know, people bring significant others to squadron events or, um, you know, if it's a, if it's holiday party or we'd have like a first Friday as a squadron and, and every time, um, you know, families are always invited to that. Like that's, uh, at least that was the way it was for our, our squadron, uh, which I, I think was a good thing. Um, if, you know, if you can't bring them into the, the place where you're doing your work every day, then at least bringing yourself out and, you know, the rest of your, your peers out and going to, um, you know, if it was going out to dinner or they'd have, like, activities for kids, um, we would just, you know, we'd have, like, what would we do? Yeah, like, you know, pumpkin patches in the fall, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, you know, going to restaurants, whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, and like, the singles would, would kind of track off and do their thing after that, you know, mm-hmm. go to you know, a concert or to the bar or something like that. But uh, the point is making, making opportunities available for, for people to get to know each other so that families can understand what's happening um, to the extent that they can. Uh, newsletters are also a good idea, and that's you know, a way of communicating um, you know, stuff going, going on at work. You know, if it was awards or if it was uh, somebody got promoted or a new assignment or we have inbounds, hail, we call them hail and farewell where we welcome new people and we say goodbye to, uh, to people who are leaving. Um, that is a way of, kind of talking to those in your life. Um, you know, for me, my, my wife and kids about what I did and who, who I work with. And, uh, and for me, people matter a lot. And so people are so much of the experience of, of work. And, uh, and so just kind of getting them to know each other is a, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of being like seeing things out in the news, um, you know, the, uh, I'd say the, the information age has, has made a lot of things available that, you know, previously were not. I mean, we were in, you know, the 1960s and 70s. Things were, uh, they went on the rhythm of the newspaper in the morning and then, like, the evening news. And that was, and, and maybe radio in between. And that was kind of the rhythm of things. And now it's, it's instantaneous updates um, with, uh, I would say, pretty, uh, pretty exquisite and penetrating access to information. Um, so if you look at this you know the ukraine crisis right now um you got a lot of reporters on the ground right and then foreseeably anybody could be a reporter if you have a cell phone mm-hmm. uh and uh you know truthfulness and quality of what they're saying is is uh you know that could be debated but and it creates um, like a filtering issue yeah and uh you you have to be uh, be careful of of what it is that's out there in terms of information that you uh that you consume um but uh you know uh in terms of you know the media steering people. Um, uh, you know I think. You know every every person has their own politics. Uh, every organization probably has its own politics, uh, and, I, and I won't comment on any organization in particular. But um, you will get a a feeling of the trend of that organization by what you read from it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know that we're we're going for, for unbiased, but in many cases that's pretty tough to find some places are towards the middle and, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of get a sense for that. But what I'd counsel, uh, anybody to do is just, you yeah, know, read broadly. And, uh, you know, um, I'd say if you're offering your own opinions on things, uh, just, you know, do your research and, um, and there's nothing wrong with having an opinion, uh, from a political standpoint, you know, um, now for an intel officer, the, the place where it's, uh, you get um I won't say it's dangerous, but it's uh what we cannot do is bring our own personal politics into our work mm. uh, and and you could kind of, you could kind of marry that across any other career field, but especially so for us where you're identifying what is important um, and you know what is important for decision makers to see uh and making assessments on what what is a likely outcome um, and there's is there opportunity there for a political slant yeah, there could be. Uh, and that's something that the IC takes really seriously and the Air Force does too, which is like, hey, you, are you leave your politics at the door and you talk about what you see. Um, and you talk about from a, um, you know, purely from an unemotional, national interest-oriented um, and military-focused aspect. Talk about where you think the adversary is going. Mm-hmm. Um, this may have political ramifications at home, like domestic politics, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about right now. Uh, and so we, we take that pretty seriously and, uh, you know, I mean, as a
0: military, we're supposed to be maintaining a political, kind of
1: yeah, it's, um, in terms of, yeah, in, in terms of how it is that we're, we, we behave at work and, you know, carrying out lawful orders and things like that. Absolutely. Um, I would say it is, it, again, it is undeniable that everybody has their own opinions and views on things. And, um, You've had you've had different uh, different senior leaders who will say different things about um, having political opinion in the military. Um, you know, my own view on it. I think everybody should vote uh, always. Uh, that's you you're an American citizen, and that is your your right is is to vote, and mm-hmm. that is that is you know the essence of democracy, right? Um, and uh, and I would encourage people to do that. Um, in terms of uh, you know professionalism and political views i i think it's it's fine to talk about things and and opinions uh on issues um because there's a lot of t- contentious issues out there right now and and i think for people to bottle them up and just to hide and and say ah, i'm not i'm not even going to worry about it because nobody listen to me uh i think there is a right place a right time and a right venue and a right a right way to convey it um your opinion um now doing that in uniform no uh, you know it's uh political demonstrations and stuff like that no we don't we don't do that and that's that's by regulation um but in terms of just having conversations which are, are civil and uh you know debate i i think i think our society has kind of mm-hmm. lost the art of debate where we look at differences in opinion as like well this is a either you know some people take it as a reason for violence which is wrong or it's a reason for accusing somebody of being unfair, which I think is also wrong. It's like it's you just think about things differently, and there's there's no reason why two people can't discuss that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think it actually makes uh, us stronger Americans um, and a stronger country if if people do get things out there and and just say in a reasoned manner, this is how I feel about this. Um, I don't mean any disrespect towards you and i certainly mean you no know, harm but you know uh whether guided by uh you know faith personal morals or values or you know whatever it is that you is your guiding kind of your guiding light uh to to how you view the world uh, i think there's there's no problem in that mm-hmm. um you know where it gets sticky is um you know leadership situations with people who um say you have people that are working for you say they're you're rating on them uh you know, I tend to stay away from that because I, like, I just, I don't want people to feel like there's any undue pressure. Um, and I I would say that most, most in, in my own position would say the same thing where it's like, that's, that's kind of unfair. You know, it's, it's basically, you know, walking in somewhere and and telling, uh, telling all your young officers or junior NCOs, like, yeah, this is, this is exactly my opinion on this. And what do you all think? You Mm -hmm. know, of course, what are they going to say? Um, many may just not say anything at all. And so, I think there's a right time and place uh, for, for sharing views. Mm-hmm. So not your original question. But,
0: uh, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. I yeah. think cadets can benefit from that type of perspective because I know we're all, what well, even though we're in the military and the academy kind of has its own dynamics of yeah. how opinions are portrayed here, I think we could all use some guidance on just understanding that people are entitled not to advocate on behalf of the military but to have this type of discourse within the academy Mm -hmm. and understand where other people are coming from and think critically about their positions as well as their own yep so um to go on to the next question i before i was offered appointment or even the falcon scholarship to go to marion military institute I was committed to Mercyhurst University for um, lacrosse, and I was planning on studying intelligence studies because apparently, I don't know if you're familiar, but...
1: Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I think he said... um, uh, Mercyhurst and I think a school in Hawaii were one of the only two colleges in the nation that offer that type of program. Okay. I, I can't vet that myself, but so say you separate or retire you were working with these three letter agencies in the military is that a viable option for everyone to go
1: um yeah are you saying like as a intel officer say say you're 14 in and say
0: say you 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 choose to like leave the military is that a good
1: post-military um
0: occupation that yeah
1: i mean there's uh certainly so there's there's a lot of people who who will do that who like literally they will they will retire on Friday and they'll come back on monday wearing a tie and okay and they'll um maybe they retired from uh that last assignment and they came back in as a civilian in the same organization uh that's you know that's certainly an option to do um so all those places are going to have their own hiring policies, and you know what they're looking for in a candidate. So you have to to meet those requirements. But, um, excuse me, I think the uh, you know the military is a pretty good place um, to develop foundational skills for that. Uh, so if you did want to stay in a craft, so like doing SIGINT or something like that, um, yeah, that's something you can stay on with. Either as a uh, as a federal civilian, uh, you can go to work for a contractor if you want. Um, there are pluses and minuses with both, uh, on the civilian standpoint. Um, you know, the, I'd say just, you know, just to be blunt about it, the compensation is lower than, than you would find, uh, maybe out in industry and in the contractor world. Uh, but the stability is higher, uh, in terms of, are you comparing uh, the military to contracting or no. three letter uh, to contracting? So what I'm, what I'm comparing is basically just federal service as a civilian. So, okay. um, know, writ large. And that's, and that is the, that civilian service structure is what is behind basically anybody who works at, if you work at, you know, a, an intel agency, uh, if you work for the state, the state department, or if you work for, you know, whoever like DHS or something like that. Um, there, there are standards of, uh, civilian hiring practice and, um, personnel system that are kind of universal across all those. So yeah, what I was comparing was, That civilian structure, you know, federal civilians who, um, you know, you you see around us here, you know, you have civilian professors and then Mm -hmm. you can see them down at Peterson or Schriever uh, as compared to a uh, a contract position, which is you have completely separated from federal service. Um, You are just out in the business world and you have offered your resume to somebody to a company which does something very similar to what you have done. Uh, on the, I mean that's uh, kind of how it always seemed
0: to work, right? Like what anything that's connected to the government usually has maybe has like higher benefits or something, but the payment is lower. I don't know.
1: It's uh, so it's kind of the stability and, and pay balance. Like um, so for contracts, like the essence of contracts is that they're renewed uh, on an annual basis, and so um, sometimes a contract isn't renewed, and so uh, your company has the basically the right to look at you and say you all are let go uh and with very short notice and uh and so that's part of that instability where it's like eh, maybe you have a family and okay it, and it's like oh man i, I don't know if i'd want to be part of that um the pay sounds good but you know at at, at any moment you know in one year intervals i'm kind of sweating whether this this is going to continue on or not mm-hmm. um versus you know being on the federal civilian side where it's like yeah the pay is lower but um but you're also, like, I won't say, like, once you're in, you're in. You still have to perform. But, um, you know, there's no, unless there's, like, a reduction in force or, uh, you know, um, some sort of, uh, you know, civilian furlough or something long-term that happens or some disruption to pay. Otherwise, you're, you're you know, your employment is secure so long as you, you do your job and you do it well. Okay. Um, so it's just kind of what your risk tolerance is. Yeah. So. But, um, um
0: to get kind of closing questions in, do you have anything that you think you, as a cadet here, you would like to have known before you chose intelligence?
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say as far as before before choosing intelligence, um, I'm glad I went that way. You know, I have no regrets over that. Um, I think I think i had wished – I wish I had focused on um, – maybe finding mentorship mentorship a little sooner. Okay. Uh, when I was a Lieutenant, like that's, that's probably something that I, uh, I would do better. Um, it was the dynamics of being in a really busy squadron and, and it's, you just, you feel like you feel like no one has, has the time to talk. And as a Lieutenant, you're like, all right, I've got my job. I'm trained. got people who are, um, you know, I'm responsible for, um, uh, And, you know, I'm, you know, just learning my trade and I just got to be tough about it. And, you know, I'll ask questions when I need to. And uh, that's kind of the way I approached it. And I think I I wish I would have been thinking more along the lines of um, let me let me think about the questions that I should be asking before, you know, before situations come up. If it's leadership stuff or it's just like, you know, job knowledge or trade craft or, you know, tactical tactical employment or something like that. I I think I wish I would have reached out to um the older guys around me a little sooner. And so, um, you know, when you get there, at least for us, we had uh you know, flight commanders were kind of senior captain level for the most part. And I and I had a good a good friend of mine who took me under his wing. Um but I think I wish I would have done a little more question asking and reaching out and just you know, um it's there's nothing wrong with that. You're you're 24 you know it's like how could you know everything Mm -hmm. you don't and you just uh, don't want to seem like you're wasting anybody's time or something uh that and 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 it's like i kind of like the experience of just figuring it figuring things out for myself yeah and uh and sometimes there's a place for that where that builds like muscle memory for you where you you learn how to solve problems but then other times it's like why let it be hard on yourself uh, just like go ask somebody about their experience with with flight command, you know, ri- writing EPRs or like disciplinary bl- disciplinary issues, etc. Um, especially when it comes to people stuff, I would go consult others uh, sooner, okay. uh, sooner than later. So that's what I'd say. Uh, but otherwise, um, I'm glad I went that way. Uh, it's a uh, you know it's a career field full of a lot of opportunity. Um, again, really broad. Uh, and you can go in a lot of different directions and you can build you can build what is what turns out to be a really interesting and impactful and fun career um so I recommend it highly um and i 've got some i 've got some closing thoughts for uh for your, your listening audience yeah. i don 't know if that 's your next step well do you uh,
0: think uh before we get to those do you think sure. there 's any like do you think there's any type of person or any drive in a person that would make them more suitable or would like this job more?
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, and I, and I thought about this question before coming to talk to you. Um, I'd say just about any major at this place, um, you can go be an Intel officer. Now there are certain ones like, so like bio, you're, you're probably going to go be a doctor or law. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you have people who have aspirations to do really certain things. Um, so those are, those are somewhat of an exception, but um A lot of the intel career field, at least from the officer perspective, uh, tends to come from the tribe of, uh, you know, for me, I came from MSS here. I I majored in MSS. Uh, History, poli-sci, foreign area studies. That tends to be, like, a lot of people's interests. Uh, Now, in the past, like, 10 years, especially as... You know, cyber operations missions have become the norm. And as we've gotten further into just kind of the domain of space, and that has become more more normalized. Um, you know, anything, we're in this digital age uh, of we're going towards a digital air force, people who understand data and analytics and all that. Um, having that as a background is awesome, and that's a definite plus, and we need both. So what I'll say is you can be either. You could be uh, somebody from kind of the humanities or social sciences tribe and and swim and do exceptionally well you can be somebody who uh is from you know that that science and technology and engineering tribe and do really really well too Uh, i think a lot of it comes down to your personality and just your um you know kind of your your mindset for things actually let me turn to my notes here um i'd say as far as just uh just things that I would recommend uh, for you guys and, and gals that are listening. Um, just be, be a person who is, is uh, curious and interested in the world, uh, no matter which educational background you come from here. Um, you, have to, you have to get good grades. I, I know that you know, Intel is, is kind of a competitive thing to get into, so uh, stay up on, uh, on the academics. Uh, keep yourself in balance. Um, you know, across the the pillars here at the academy, um, and uh, you know, make yourself a, a great officer. Stress yourself, for, and what I mean by that is is challenge yourself every day. Um, and though there are things that are stressors in your life and the cadet life, uh, challenge yourself to be an exceptional officer, okay, mm-hmm. uh, or officer in the making. And um, I'd say, have fun while you're here uh, sees opportunities as you see them. And that's, and that is a that's a, a fundamental skill of being an Intel officer is seeing something out there that, that looks pretty good. Um, you know, whether it's a summer research opportunity or like a spring break trip or something, where you're having to make a choice between like, well, I could have free time or I could go, you know, do this research. Uh, you know, I've got something I want to say. Maybe I can get published. Maybe I have a professor that's helping me that really believes in me. Um, you know yield to your instincts on that it, and just go challenge yourself and step into that wave if you will um and uh and use this opportunity to the fullest um learn about the world uh learn about uh if you have international cadets in your squadron or your other classes talk to them ask them questions about where they're from because their country their country's sent the best and mm-hmm. like that's the reason why they're here they they're not going to send just anybody and um and they're really talented too. So, um, you know, build your curiosity about the world. Um, Always, always strive to improve your own education and knowledge of things. Um, Think about maybe a region that you like. That's what I would recommend to people. Uh, For me, I I really love Europe, I always have. Um, For others, it's Asia or Africa or or somewhere else. Think about a region that you like Um, and, uh, and try and develop some expertise there you know maybe a foreign language minor if it's if it's within your capability and your capacity and your interest uh, i would encourage you to do that uh, i think that's great um again those, those uh <coughs> pardon me summer and, and kind of spring break opportunities um compete for those uh graduate school don't be afraid of it um go if that is offered to you uh i would highly recommend that you seize it um and uh you know I was fortunate enough to go off for GSP after after uh, graduating here uh i had some some professors that believed in me and and uh and said, "Hey, you know trey, I think this would be a good thing and my initial instinct was like, no way uh <laughs> that's that's more school um but uh but it was a, ended up being a great thing um and then finally something I'd recommend for somebody who's you know interested in aspiring towards that that intel route um Challenge yourself from a leadership perspective, okay? It's, it's not only about knowing a lot about one thing or being a, a subject matter expert. It's, it's being able to um, lead in a situation, you know, whether it's a formal leadership role or informal, being able to integrate other people's ideas uh, into a common solution to a problem because that's the way the Air Force Intel community operates is uh, it's teams of people operating together together to solve uh sometimes uh, some pretty big and wicked problems uh so practice that leadership if you're uh you know if you're pretty quiet and um you know just kind of like you know stealth cadet and you know i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna make it through uh i would i would encourage you to to come out of that and and uh step up for a role something that maybe makes you a little nervous uh, but that challenge is going to make you grow and and being a leader is what the air force needs you to be uh, it doesn't matter what AFSC you are, uh, and, and the intel community especially needs them. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what I would, I would recommend to, uh, to your listeners. Sweet. Would you
0: recommend any just overall advice to the cadets?
1: Uh, just some, some parting shots for you guys. Um, you know, finding your purpose uh, in things, finding the, uh, why you get out of bed in the morning. Uh, you know, I mentioned mine earlier in the interview. Um, und- having a clear understanding of what of what motivates you. Um, and that, you know, that can come from many different forms. Um, if it's, you know, if it's here on Earth or if it's beyond Earth in the, in the metaphysical, as they say. Uh, and if it's if it's country and, or if it's religion or if it's, uh, you know, family or, or just personal motivation, you know, wanting to be better. Stoicism. And wanting to be a war fighter, stoicism. That's 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 one of them. Um, yeah, there's uh, there are a number of, of different purposes that people find. Uh, I would encourage you to find yours uh and to identify it and just and just wake up and uh and have that in front of you and on your mind and as a as a guide and help for you to face your day um, i think the the people who who have struggles in this life, whether at the academy or not, are people who don't know why they're there um you have people who um you know mental illness and suicide and and all sorts of things happening that are uh you know tough um and have just just tough impacts on on families and and society writ large i think uh, a lot of it could be solved through just like let's let's all slow down and figure out why we're here you know what is it that i'm working for especially in a really stressful place like this this is a, a tough place to be speaking of that um seeing through the stress uh you have a tremendous opportunity that's in front of you um these four years are are full of obstacles, um, and frustrations, uh, not meant to make you frustrated, uh, but as part of that formative experience as a cadet, nothing is meant for pain's sake. It's, it's made for development's sake. Uh, and, and I would imagine that, you know, your AOCs and, and those on, on the uh, cadet wing side would tell you the same. Um, it's all purposeful and it's meant for, uh, meant for your good. Uh, now sometimes we make adjustments along the way where it's like, Ooh, maybe that wasn't a good decision. (laughs) Um, but, uh, but the intent is pure, which is, uh, which is helping you all to be great officers. Um, and then others, I had a couple others, uh, lifting and inspiring those around you. Um, you may be surrounded by people who, uh, you know, maybe they're not as strong as you are. Maybe they're not as, uh, athletically gifted or, or smart, uh, in the classroom maybe they're, they're excellent at street smarts, but, uh, but can't take a GR to save their life. Um, I would encourage you to, um, have the awareness to, to know who's around you, um, identify those who need help, uh, and do the best that you can to, to help and lift them, um, you know, in a positive way. Um, it's, it's easy to be cynical here. I know that, uh, I've been there, um, and it's easy to, to kind of get down on the place, but, uh, you never know the influence that you have on those around you. Um, you may have people in your class that you only meet once. Uh, I had classmates that I met on graduation day that I had never seen before in my life, which is it was really <laughs> odd. I was like, who are you? Um, and you may only have one momentary touch with somebody, but, uh, but that, that encounter could mean the world to them, whether from a, you know, maybe you gave them some advice, some encouragement, or, or whatever, uh, and you could change their life for, for the better. So always look for those opportunities and then uh commitment is is my last one um, we talked about finding what you like uh academically or or you know as you as you look towards afscs um, i would encourage you to be committed stick stick with it uh, we will have to make sometimes we will have to make deviations to our plan uh in life you're not going to get everything right as you come out of this place you will not make every assumption correctly uh as you think your li- you know the way your life is going to go um, but for those fundamental things that matter, uh, like, like being here, uh, like, uh, sticking with, you know, sticking with a team or, or commitment to family or, uh, a marriage, uh, or, or friendship, um, to the very best of your ability, remain committed to that, you know, and, and be serious about it and realize that, um, others have made commitments to you as well. And, uh, and they're, you know you have a lot of people who are counting on you and uh and that number will grow as you as you leave the academy and uh and it becomes more than just about about you um everybody here is very successful and smart you know i i'm, I'm very impressed by you guys um and as you go on uh you will be entrusted with others that that uh people will look at you and go you know andrew's a very talented guy and uh, you know i'm gonna give him a you know a flight command, or, or he's going to be a uh flight lead if he goes and flies um you're going to be given others into your care uh that need your commitment uh that that needs your investment and uh and so i would just just encourage you to uh to remain true to them uh, mm-hmm. as that time goes on because uh, you certainly fill an important role
0: yeah i've felt that last one that commitment one with my father a lot um he's made just as many sacrifices as i have to get here so i feel like if i fail it's I'm failing all of the effort that he's put in on my behalf. So no. I, I can that resonates with me very strongly.
1: But I, um, I, uh, I guess I'll I'll tail end on that. Um, I'd say never never to the detriment to your physical health. And what I mean by that, like, don't stay up 23 hours a day studying. But uh, or make something that's a uh, you know a dangerous sacrifice in some way. But uh, but yeah, I think I, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah. You yeah. know, uh, commitment.
0: Well, thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Darnell. It's been welcome? great
1: talking with you about everything. Well, it's, uh, that was a pleasure and, uh, and, and quite an honor. Thanks very much for asking. Yeah, sweet. Thank you.
0: Well, there you have it. Lieutenant Colonel Darnell and his experience as an intelligence officer. A strong advocate for seeing other strengths and using teamwork to get the job done. Keep a lookout for the wing-wides I'll be sending out as they have polls attached to get feedback on questions you want asked or guests you want to hear from. Thanks for listening. Cormel.